live from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful downtown San Bernardino, California. Thanks for tuning into the Water Zone today. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Starr, along with Munster Mike Barron, also known around here as Mikeypedia, and we are collectively known as the Water Boys. You missed your cue, but that's oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's a hot I was, day. I was so mesmerized by your amazing voice on the radio. Well, thanks to our thanks to our great engineer, Carlos, who told us it was starting, and we didn't see it until he's waving frantically. <laughs> so thank you, Carlos. We owe a lot to you. Anyway, we're going to go right to the news, and um, we have our favorite person, the purveyor of Maven's Notebook, Miss Chris Austin. Chris, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Very well, very well. Thank you. Well, uh, you know, I heard that the state of California, through... The uh, person, I guess, that's the uh, second in charge, or what do they call that? The chief of staff for Governor Jerry Brown announced that it's time to make a decision on the big fix. What have you heard about this? Oh, well, this this is actually not entirely new, but we are getting close to a decision point. And actually, last Friday, um, the biological opinions were expressed expected to be put out, and they still haven't come out, which is interesting. But the, bio, the, the final biological opinions then kicks off a decision on the environmental documents, and once that happens, then it becomes time for all the water agencies to pretty much either say they're on board or not, which means metropolitan plus all the other state water uh, project contractors. So um, and it, it, it's been expected that it's going to be in September. Uh, but, again, we were that timeline was sort of based on those biological opinions being completed, and now they're just about a week overdue. Um, and there have been some issues with that because uh, there's some things at the federal agency level, uh, some positions that Trump still hadn't hasn't filled yet, appointed positions. So it's kind of been slowing things up at the federal agency. So the delay on the biological opinion could just be, uh, you know, bureaucratic uh, red tape stuff. Yeah. Or maybe it's something other than that. Who knows? Well, it's a $15 billion investment. And do you know if the state of California is looking for the water agencies themselves that are going to, well, basically it's the water agencies that make up the membership of Metropolitan Water District. Are they going to basically carry the full burden of that $15 billion price tag? Do you know? Well, the water agencies are expected to pay for the tunnels, and it's not in metropolitan. It would be fifty percent of that, uh-huh. but there are other uh, state water project contractors that make up the other fifty. The second largest is Kern County Water Agency. They're at in at twenty nine percent, so figure thirty percent. And the big issue there is, you know, there's if there's no question that you know, the people in Southern California can't afford to pay for the tunnels. No one likes their water rates to go up. But it, Metropolitan has said that they imagine it's going to be uh, $5 per household will be what it will cost. And even if it's twice that, $10, I mean, still spread out over Southern California, that's not a problem. The problem is with... Uh, the agencies like Kern County Water Agency, which is primarily agriculture, 
And the question then becomes, um, you know, I mean, that's an input to a uh, product, right? And and the food is going to be considerably more per acre foot to water their crop, like a, a three hundred dollars per acre foot more, I think, is what they're talking, which is significantly more expensive than water has been before. So the big question has always been. Um, is ag, you know, can ag pay? Well, oh, also, and I have to, I have to clarify something. Um, the state water project is only roughly half of the uh, half of the water, half of the contractors that would be paying for this. So, Metropolitan would be paying. The state water project is half. Metropolitan would be paying, you know, half of that. So it's only but about three point. Seven five billion for metropolitan. I think they uh, spent that yeah. much on uh, the turf removal program. If you ask me, well, <laughs> maybe not quite that much. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I heard that the uh, state's ordering some uh, assessments to be done on dams on fifty dams. Yeah, um, other reports have said there's you know more up to seventy four, but yeah, it's not not really surprising in the wake of Oroville Dam and what happened, but. It's interesting to note it's estimated number, I think, of dams in California is about 1,200. Hmm. So what they're ordering inspections on is just a fraction, really. Uh, and really all dams could be checked. And I think there's, a, you know, work going on across America in light of this to check out dams. But so far, 74 uh, dams or 50 to between 50 and 74, depending on whose report uh, well, you're reading. Had, they probably had an assessment of which ones they should check first. Hey, I noticed that our good friend, Miss Mary Ann Dickinson, has been named leader of the California Water Efficiency Partnership. Which is, yes, which is the yes. former uh, California Urban Water Conservation Council that we're familiar with. But yeah, yeah, they've renamed themselves. Um, I, I think you had it, Bob, its name escapes me. Yeah. Uh, what was that name? The partnership. Um, the, yeah, the California Water what? Urban Conservation. That that big long name is now that Water Efficiency Partnership. Yeah, I yeah. think. Yeah, well, that's good. She's yeah. a nice lady. Well, and she's it, certainly knowledgeable. Well, she um, was the executive director of the CUWCC for a number of years before she founded the Alliance for Water Efficiency. So bringing those two organizations together, I think, will be great. Um, just be a louder voice in the arena of water policy. Absolutely. Well, um, is there any other significant um, water issue that is top of mind for you, Chris, that you want to share with our audience? Well, you know, um, besides just sitting around waiting to see what happens with the tunnels, um, the Bureau of Reclamation is going to be starting some public meetings. Uh, they're talking, uh, they, they want to restore salmon runs above Shasta Dam, uh, which is quite a project because uh, they're not going to build fish passage at Shasta Dam, so they're going to have to truck the fish around uh, Shasta wow. Dam when they come back. And then they'll swim up into these upper streams, they'll spawn, and then they actually have a device that they put in the river that catches those salmon, baby salmon, when they come down so they can put them in a truck. 
and take them down to below the dam. Who's going to create uh, the map for them? <laughs> so they know where to swim. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a, it's a requirement of the biological opinions uh, to look at this. And, you know, the concern is that uh, the water temperatures are too warm lower down, uh, it downstream. Uh, so the upper elevations will have the cooler temperatures that the fish need. And it's not just Shasta Dam. They're talking about doing this on the Yuba River, too. But... I don't know. This idea of trucking fish around the dam and catching them as they come down, um, I will have to see how that works. Well, hey, Manhandled by humans. Well, you know, the United States put a man on the moon in 1969. We sure as well ought to be able to, in California, make sure that those salmon get a nice ride to their <laughs> final destination. Absolutely. Well, Chris, thank you so much. Uh, we've got an interesting interview with Randy Record, who's been chairman of Metropolitan Water District, been chairman and on the board of Eastern Municipal Water District, and is very involved with his family in terms of farming. And I guess right now it's grapes. Yep. In, uh, was it the Paso Robles? San, San is he on next? Yes, he's yes, on next. Yes. Oh, great. So. Well, he's going to be on the panel, I believe, that I'm going to be moderating on the 29th down there. Yep. Awesome. Uh, before I come down to your town to your show, the Chino Basin uh, event. So. He's, he's great. So if you get a chance, you can uh, call in or listen in on the Internet. And we just thank you again, Chris, for keeping us posted on the big water fix and all other issues around water in California. And anybody who wants to uh, help sponsor that, it's uh, www.mavensnotebook.com. It's a great, great read, great blog, and uh, Chris is a wonderful lady. Chris, stick around. You can listen to, the, listen to Randy. So we're going to take a little break, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Okay. Take care, guys. Okay. Welcome back to the Water Zone with Mike and Rob, and uh, we have a great guest today. His name is Rick R Randy Record, and uh, we caught up with him the other day, and uh, had the whole group from the Water Zone uh, was there, uh, Ingie and Paul and Mike and myself, and uh, great, great knowledge from this gentleman. And, and uh, anyway, I really, I really enjoyed the fact that we looked at it from the Metropolitan Water District perspective. We looked at it from the ag perspective with his own. Uh, involvement in his family's farm, and also at a regional uh, water district. Right. And, so, uh, very so, interesting. So that was good for everybody. So uh, let's hear what he has to say. Well, today's special guest is Mr. Randy Record, and a little background on him. He's the chair of the Metropolitan Water District's Board of Directors Executive Committee. He's a member of the Water Planning and Stewardship Committee, Finance and Insurance Committee, Engineering and Operations Committee, Legal and Claims Committee, Communications Legislation Committee, Organization, Personal Personnel and Technology Committee, Audit and Ethics Committee, Special Committee on Bay Delta, Agriculture and Industry Relations Committee, Integrated Resource Planning Committee, and the Real Property and Asset, Asset Management Committee. So I'm sure that keeps him busy all day long aside from his normal job. So I'd like to welcome Randy to the show. Thank you. Um, Randy, on a, on, a, on a personal note, why is Randy Record involved with water and when did it start? Your Go back to your family's involvement and so forth. Well, it's hard to uh, 
farm in California and not be concerned about water, especially Southern California. So my family's been in the San Jacinto Valley for well over 100 years, been farming there for a long time. Um, when I started farming in the mid-70s, we were using recycled water and well water. Uh, imported water was pretty expensive, but we were very conscious of the limitations and what the supply opportunities were. My dad served on the Eastern Municipal Water Board and the MET Board. Before I did, he decided not to run. People asked me to run, and so I did. I'm very glad I did. That was over 16 years ago. So it's been a, a great experience, and the people I've met have been phenomenal. Well, just for our listening audience uh, about Metropolitan Water District, it's a regional wholesaler and the largest distributor of treated water in the U.S. It delivers water to 26 member public agencies, 14 cities, 11 municipal water districts, one county water authority, which in turn provides water to more than 19 million people in Los Angeles, Orange, Riverside, San Bernardino, San Diego, and Ventura counties. They have an allotment of the Colorado River water, which they operate and perform maintenance as well as construction on the 242-mile Colorado Aqueduct, which runs from Lake Havasu to its endpoint at Lake Matthews in Riverside County. MWD owns and operates 16 hydroelectric facilities, which I didn't know about, and that's a lot, five water treatment facilities, of which four are among the 10 largest in the nation, nine reservoirs, and 830 miles of large-scale pipes. So with all of that said, what still needs to be accomplished by Metropolitan Water District for assurance of future water for our customers? Two things. We need improvements in the delivery system from Northern California, specifically in the Bay Delta. That infrastructure needs to be modernized. We need a more reliable supply, not an additional supply. We're not after more water from there, but we want to get what we used to get. And in order to do that, that 50-year-old system needs to be modernized. It doesn't protect the environment as it should in the Delta. The other part of that equation is we know there will be future growth in our service area on the coastal plain of Southern California. We intend to meet that demand with local projects. We're very aggressive in developing, subsidizing, and help fund local projects. The most recent is a pilot project that we're funding with LA County Sanitation Districts to take some of the water that's being discharged to the ocean, treat it, and then deliver it to groundwater basins in the Met Service area. I think there's a, a great potential there. So it's water reliability on the imported side and local projects for future growth. In Southern California, when it rains, and <laughs> we've been lucky in the last couple months, but we believe that like 90%, at least that's the number of people bant around, of the water that, that rains here runs down the street and, and into the ocean. What do we do in the future? Is there any plans for more capture of that? Certainly. Uh, Sites Reservoir north of the Delta is uh, the latest. It's off stream, so it's pretty environmentally conscious and uh, respectful. Metropolitan last month invested significant money in that to be a part of that project. Even though we know without better uh, conveyance through the Delta, it'd be hard to access that water. We think it's important that we're involved statewide and uh, let everyone know that, that we think that uh, it's the big picture that's important. I think with climate change, we're seeing that the extremes are greater and greater. We go from five years of record drought to record rainfall. And to me, that means when you build infrastructure, you build it big because it doesn't mean that it's going to be utilized at 100% of capacity all the time. 
but it means during those periods, like we've seen lately, where you have a lot of water and it's least harmful to the environment to pump that water, you have the capacity to do so. The Diamond Valley Lake in the Met Service area, not too far from my house in San Jacinto, is a perfect example. That, coupled with the inland feeder, which brings water from Lake Silverwood, was built way over capacity so that when we have those supplies, we can fill immediately. DVL will be full by the end of August. It's pretty close right now. And over the last three years of drought, we've been steadily pulling that down. So it's operating just as it was designed. It'll get us through several drought years, but we have the ability to fill it in one year. There's a lot of people talking about, I don't know if you know Curtis Paxton? No. Uh, he's doing some stuff for, uh, in San Bernardino about desaling some water in the inland areas instead of by the ocean because he, he believes or they believe there's a lot of unfresh or unclean water and they're, they're looking at starting some new inland desal plants to do that. Is there any potential of bad water within your territory as far as Metropolitan is concerned that they could harvest and clean up? And Certainly. I mean, Eastern is a great example of that. We have groundwater basins that are brackish. And you're right, most people think of seawater desalinization, but I think there's way more potential for um, inland because not all the population is on the coast. At Eastern, we've been able to access not only money from Metropolitan through their local projects program, but also Army Corps and the state of California to build desalter plants. And that does two things. It, it brings us a new reliable water supply of potable water, but it also cleans up a basin that's marginal and keeps that water from migrating to other basins that are of higher quality that get pumped more for that reason. So we see that bad water migrating and we're able to slow that down. It also helps with our salt management overall for the district. Um, we recycle all of our water and by nature, the recycling process adds some salt to that supply. So uh, with our desalters, we're able to keep a salt balance within the district. Okay. If by some chance or miracle, which will never happen, that I become the czar of water for California, <laughs> and I'm not looking for that job, if you had to take a look at, from your vet perspective, of the top three issues of water in the state, what, how would you pri prioritize those? Well, I really think at this moment, it's the lack of infrastructure. We have a lot of water in California, but we have more good quality farmland than we probably have water to use on it. But if we can't design infrastructure that protects the environment, then we're going to continually take water away from other uses in the name of the environment, which we all want, but it's not productive without the proper habitat to go along with it. So the infrastructure that's modernized, um, the habitat to go with that, and then I think just the ability uh, to act as one state. I continually try to let people know that as a Southern California person, uh, when I look at Northern California or the Sacramento Valley, I don't want the water you need. I want the water that you couldn't possibly use. You use your water, you store your water. There's water that's left. We wanna make sure the environment has what it's need and we'll take whatever's left over. And that gets us through. So um, I get concerned when I hear that 
through the last drought and a one previous, uh, a lot of people felt like Southern California had their water. And we weren't uh, forced to cut back as much because we had that supply. But my thinking is, that wasn't your water. I mean, you took what you needed and we took what was left. We've invested billions of dollars in infrastructure, including storage, so that we have that water during those times. So I don't want to take anybody's water away from them. I, I think that we have enough to go around if we use it in the right way, and we really um, respect each other in that regard. Just a quick question. You said improvement of the infrastructure. I'm just curious, is it storage or conveyance or the age of the, the infrastructure? The, the pumping plants at Tracy, for example. What I'm just curious, what your thoughts are? Yes. Specifically, you know, some of that, some of that no, infrastructure it, was built in, in the 1800s and is crumbling right. and such. And but more recently, and what we're focused on right now is the Cal Water fix and the conveyance through the Delta, because that piece of that project was never completed, mm. and that project's almost 50 years old, and we still have 15 years of debt payments to make on that project. So. It, to me, it's like having a nice house with a bad roof, and you say, well, that's a little expensive. I'm not going to fix it, I, and I don't think that's appropriate. We've got a big investment here that we need to continue to use, but like any system or, or anything else, it needs to be updated. I mean, you look at the technology advances that have happened all over our society, whether it's a smartphone or a car or you name it. A 50-year-old project certainly needs to be updated. Right. I've been down inside the uh, pumping facility in Tracy and uh, seen, seen that firsthand. And there, there's some stuff that look, uh, looks like it uh, was World War II uh, surplus that they right. put down. You know, some of it, uh, I'm exaggerating a bit, but some of it is pretty old. Right. I think actually the, the pumping part of it uh, maybe has kept up better than other right. parts, but just as far as how we collect the water from where we pick it up. And then how we move that through um, certain areas is what really needs through to be. Through the Delta? Yes. With climate change, with sea level rise, um, there's going to be issues there in the Delta that um, you're not going to be able to just keep forcing fresh water through because the salt inundation can only go up. Right. It's one of the investments in the Delta that you're speaking of include an island, an island that you that MWD yes. recently purchased. Is that part of that plan? Yes, actually four islands. We looked at that, uh, and our board has not made a final decision on the twin tunnels on the water fix. We've invested as a board about sixty million dollars in the studies, so. We're interested in, and we think it's the right thing to go, but until we actually see the final project, we can't say yes sense. or no. But at that point in time, we knew that if the project was a go, these islands are strategic. And to be able to stage tunnel boring machines in strategic locations and have the ability to deal with the spoils would be really important. Mm what we've seen from high-speed rail is a real difficulty in acquiring land that's critical to the project. Mm -hmm. What I told our board was that since we haven't made a decision on Cal Water Fix, look at it through the eyes of there is no twin tunnel project. To me it's just as important because we need to find out what's going on there ourselves and why the estuary is in decline. 
We've done a lot of work in the Yolo Bypass with rice growers mm -hmm. and fish agencies to develop uh, programs that provide food for fish that have been really productive. And we think we can do that on a larger scale on these islands that we own ourselves. We can also firsthand determine how much water is required to farm some of those islands. We've done long-term projects on Thule restoration that reverses subsidence, reverses the oxidation of the soil, and we've seen the soil begin to come back. Mm -hmm. We're very optimistic about the potential for those islands because we've done a lot of work over the years. So it was a very strategic purchase, and uh, whatever happens as far as water fix, I'm very happy that we have them. Either way. Do you find that uh, the environmental community gives uh, organizations like MET and others uh, recognition for this, like you've expressed these, this uh, sensitivity to having to make sure that, yes, you're going to secure water, but it needs to be done in, with, a, with an understanding that the environment is key part of that solution. Uh, is that understood as well as you think? Well, I, I think the first thing you need to do is take a step back. And I think what we've really learned firsthand the last 10 years is that you can't just say the environmental community and have a homogeneous makeup of that mm -hmm. sort of a group because there are true environmentalists that will work with anybody and their goal is to improve the environment. There are other organizations or entities that see it as a method to stop uh, growth or corporate ag or you name it. We have great relationships with organizations that really care about improving the environment. And they understand that people need food and people need water, and, but the environment's important. We've made investments all over the state in different projects that, that are dual purpose, equal goals. They help with a particular piece of the local environment and allow us more reliable water supply. It's nothing new for us. We have some really good partners. We have some people who don't care for us, but um, the, to me, the ones that, that really have that goal in mind of being what an environmentalist, what you think should be, um, yeah, we get credit and, and we have good partnerships. That's good to hear because uh, sometimes you hear you know just more of one side versus another side, and and yet you know there's got to be uh, a recognition that we're pretty much in it together. Right. You know, it's not going to be just one side gets to do whatever they want. You know, in a world of sound bites, uh, yeah. water's <laughs> difficult. And it's, it's hard to get down to the facts, and it takes some time, and it takes uh, a desire by the person that to want to be educated to really find out what's going on. It's not easy. Yeah. Well, uh, we're, we're, we've been speaking of uh, this master wholesaler, the wholesaler uh, met, and Eastern uh, Municipal Water District is one of the members of, of MET. Um, you have that unique perspective of having participated, been active in both the large wholesaler activities as well as then the, the, the regional, if that's the correct term to use, for Eastern Municipal Water District. Uh, what is the most significant difference and also the most significant similarity, if there is one, between these two entities from a generic standpoint in terms of the focus of each organization? Well, the, the most obvious difference is that Eastern is a retailer. You know, we have 150,000 water customers and even more sewer customers. 
Met is strictly a wholesaler. Met only has 26 customers, and those are the member agencies. The similarities are we're dealing with water, and we're dealing with the environment, and we're, we're supplying water to Southern California. Um, your voting um, ability lies in the value of the assessed valuation of your district. So Eastern's 2.9%. It's not very much. But it gives me a seat at the table as Eastern's representative, and I can make our case. And if I'm prepared and respectful and have a good argument, it's listened to. I don't know how I have that without Metropolitan. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have half the state's population in our service area. And there's no way any one agency, even the big ones within Met, could have built the Colorado River Aqueduct or could be 50% of the state water project. We only get there by being part of a bigger organization. And to me, that is really valuable because I think Met gets listened to in Sacramento, I would have to think more than Eastern would on their own. And I, I believe in that partnership it allows us to do a number of things that would be impossible without it. Well, when you look at Eastern uh, Municipal Water District, obviously I heard you talk about groundwater being a source of water, um, also imported water from Colorado River in, in Northern California. Are there other sources, I guess the reservoir, uh, if there's uh, storage, is there other sources of water that's significant to Eastern uh, Municipal in terms of its ability to deliver water to its reta uh, retail customers? Those are the main ones. I mean, you have imported and then you have local supplies, which include groundwater, also brackish groundwater, which we talked about, but mm -hmm. also recycled water. It's been interesting. I've been on the board for this is my 17th year, and when I started, we were 80% reliant on imported water. Now we're down to about 55%. And that's wow. been through the help of Metropolitan, but also Eastern's a progressive agency. It started way before my time. And they were at the forefront of doing uh, water reclamation and then developing recycled systems and looking at every opportunity to use a local resource. And no two agencies at Metropolitan are the same. They all have a mix of local supplies and other opportunities, which makes it really unique and a really fascinating organization. My, my perception is that Eastern Municipal Water District was an early adopter or one of the agencies in California that did tra transition to a water budget-based tiered rate system uh, can you explain, one, is that a correct perception, and two, what was the objective of moving from a flat rate system to this yeah. tiered-based system? You, it is true. We were one of the first ones. board pushed really hard to get that done. And it's not just differential rates. This is budget-based. And so we want your information. We want to know how big your lot is, how many people live in your house how much water you need, maybe not what you want, but what you need, and then we develop the different tiers and we give you a budget. We didn't know how it would work in a drought. And, and I like to think that this system was not to punish people that use a lot of water, but to reward people that like to conserve, because sometimes it's not possible to do that. So it worked pretty well, and we were very generous in giving people variances. If they came in and said, no, we've got six people in the house, fine, you've got it. So when the state came down with uh, us having to reduce our water use significantly, we were concerned because we'd already picked the low hanging fruit. We'd already 
gotten down to 20 by 20, 20 way ahead of schedule. And what they wanted us to do was pretty significant. It was over 25%. But we immediately adjusted our rates as a board, a lot of public outreach, and we've come through this drought and our revenue stream has not been impacted. And people still have the water that they need. So uh, we're very pleased with how that has worked. Uh, so, you know, we always thought that the, the idea was there to make it work, but we never were tested until the last five years, and it worked really well. I know in speaking with other water agencies, oftentimes the uh, idea of saying, of, of interviewing or canvassing ratepayers and saying, well, do you have a problem with uh, charging people who waste water a higher price for water? And typically no one has a has that complaint about that because... No one ever thinks they're wasting water, but with a water budget, it certainly gives you a platform or a basis to which compa to compare what your actual use is to something that's right. more mathematically, uh, I guess, sound in terms of what you should be using if you're somewhat efficient. Sure. Well, and it lines up with our supply opportunities because if everyone used a minimal amount of water, maybe we could get by with just groundwater, local groundwater. But if you're going to use more than that, then you know each supply costs more money. Mm -hmm. So if you're one of the people that really likes to use a lot of water and you don't mind paying for it, we're going to supply you the water that you want, but it's going to be expensive water. Mm -hmm. So I think it works. Uh, I'm willing to pay for it. I want it. I said, okay, we've got the supply, but it's expensive. So you're going to pay more for it. So I, I think in that regard, it's been very effective also. I know Mountain View, uh, Northern California, just... Uh announced a, a rate increase. I think they're at uh, $10 per 100 uh, cubic feet of water. So that's getting up there, you know, at a, at a, at a high price. But um, you've avoided, Eastern Municipal uh, Water District seems to have avoided something that several agencies are going through right now, that they did see a reduction in revenues as a result of reduction in water sales. And they're having to go back to the public and raise their rates. Right. You see, your agency uh, ha has avoided that. Um, do you get inquiries about how your how your rate oh, system sure. works? Sure. And I've offered to Metropolitan to other member agencies. We're happy to show you what we did and make your own conclusions. But we think it works. Um, here's the pitfalls. Here's the strengths. But I mean, I. People, it's so easy to say, you asked me to cut back and I did, now you want more money because you don't have enough money. Yeah. Well, my thinking is, you're gonna have to work a little harder than that to understand what we do. I mean, there's no business, I don't think anywhere, that pays people not to use their product. So how do you make that work from a revenue standpoint? So if I raise your rates, it's because I don't have an alternative. I charge you the lowest rate I can while having high quality water, reliable water supply, as much as you want, anytime you want it, and whatever happens to the, in the future, I can't predict that. But I'm gonna make it as cheap as I can and as reliable as I can, and if it costs more, I'm gonna expect you to pay more. I think I've heard it said that water agencies in California have spoiled customers and retail customers for so many years that it kind of created this potential conflict in terms of the rates that are paid. but. I think you're right. I mean, a lot of people say that most people's water bill is less than their cable bill. 
I mean, for me, you can have three or four cocktails and probably spend as much as you would for a month's worth of water for your house and your yard. So I think water is a heck of a good deal. Yeah, I would I would agree. I would agree, and especially since it's available 24-7 and meets high-quality standards. That's so. right. And I also tell people, if you don't want us to raise your rates, think of water as roads. You're not going to have it every time you want it. You want to drive to L.A. from Riverside at 8 o'clock in the morning, it's going to take you three hours. You want to go at midnight? Take you an hour and 20 minutes. So that's your choice. Mm-hmm. We haven't done that with water. You have as much as you need whenever, whenever. you want it. You never have to worry about the quality. Yeah. And I would add add to that. I think uh, to dovetail in something you said, Mike, the, uh, the farming community has uh, also uh, delivered a, a high-quality food supply uh, that's safe, uh, as uh, the the water purveyors in the in the state have done, and I think a lot of folks take that for granted as well. I mean, you know, look at other countries and the, not only the the food supply, but the quantity and the safety of that food oh, is you, often. You, you add sanitation, which uh, right. I mean, yeah, we're yeah. very fortunate. Uh, you know, the, I've read articles uh, of, about uh, waterborne pathogens in other parts of the world. Uh, killing people every minute of every day, and we just don't, uh, fortunately, thankfully, hear about that here. And well, I have a friend that told me in this country, you cut your finger, you run over and put some water on it. The rest of the world, you wouldn't dare do that. That's interesting. Ah, that's that's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's a good, good illustration. Yeah. Well, I, have, I have to say, Eastern has done a great job during the drought and educating. Same, same with Met of educating their customers about water conservation, and, and the outreach was incredible. I know you're doing a program from Eastern on promoting water-efficient landscapes with schools, and we're, we happen to be lucky enough to participate with Eastern on one for Mead Valley Elementary School. And they have an educational garden, and they grow crops and things, and we're, we're working with the school district and Eastern uh, to have that come true. Do you find it's easier teaching the kids, the younger kids, what to do versus the older kids or the adults? <laughs> I think it is. I'm, you know... From personal experience, I kind of get tired of my second grade daughter coming home and telling me what I should or shouldn't be doing on a number of things. So (laughs) those days are long gone, but I think that's a good example. Um, When we decided because of the governor's drought order that we were gonna invest over $400 million in turf replacement, I thought the first place we should go is to public agencies. Typically, they don't have the money to do that that's where people learn. That's those uh, facilities are very visual. It's a win-win. We can help you change your landscape and really promote what the governor is asking us to do, and really see some long-term benefits. So we were very aggressive in that. I mean, we have, I think, over ten state and, and university schools in the Met Service area. So that's a pretty big number right there that that we can work on. And then you start adding up the public schools, um, you know, elementary, high school, I mean, it's almost endless, so it's a great opportunity. Yeah, we see the county took advantage of that, both in Riverside and and such, and and, uh, fire departments and things, and it's uh, saved them quite a bit of money. You know, one project we did uh, a couple years ago with Riverside on one uh, one, uh, fire station saved a couple hundred thousand gallons a year, which we were amazed at. Anyway, so let's move on to the, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask, how, how have you helped the farms in your service area conserve water? I know that that wasn't part of Governor Brown's mandate, um, but. 
No, and, and I wouldn't say that we've worked really hard. We're just starting down that path now on conservation and agriculture. But by nature, because we did import so much water, the water was too expensive for agriculture. And so uh, that just meant that a lot of farmers couldn't afford it. So you're going to be pretty conservative in your water use under that scenario. But we made a conscious decision that we would recycle all of our water from our four treatment plants and try to keep that water within our service area. Sometimes when you have a rainy season, then you're gonna to have to discharge, but we've worked really hard to develop storage. But the key component is to make the price of the water affordable to agriculture. We like to price it lower than well water so that we can protect that groundwater that's uh, potentially good potable water, replace that with recycled water. and and. I can very easily justify that the people that generate the sewage need to pay just a little bit more to develop that recycled water distribution system so that a farmer can afford the water. We're making best use of that resource that has started out as a waste, but we're also protecting our groundwater. And recycled water is pretty much drought proof. I mean, people cut back some, but People have cut back quite a bit in their home, so there's not a lot of room for more conservation there. So our recycled flows are, are pretty stable. And have there been any infrastructure improvements to um, provide water to farmers Absolutely. More, more on demand uh, yes. so that they can implement new technology yes. such as uh, sprinklers or drip? We've been going to the federal government for decades. Uh, Title 16, we've been able to access those funds uh, on a cost share basis to help expand our recycle distribution system. So our four reclamation plants are all tied together. Lately, we've put tanks at high elevations so that we can provide pressurized water, which just opens up dramatically yeah. the uses. So now we have parks that are small scale and wasn't feasible for them to have their own booster system to do that before. The pricing is all over the board. I mean, if it's on demand, then you're going to pay a lot more than uh, the other way. So our cheapest water is for growers that are using large quantities that um, schedule their irrigations. Our most expensive are industry, uh, and it's still cheaper than imported water. So we're, uh, we've, we've got the gamut. We, we work very closely with our local park districts, uh, valley-wide, and we are replacing potable water they're using on parks with recycled water. These crops uh, um, in, in your area, have, there's been a lot of dry land farming, obviously, just uh, driving around the area. The, um, um, but I know the nursery growers, there's some citrus um, and melons and vegetables. And, uh, what, uh, where do you see most of this water going? What, which crops? Uh, right now, the vegetables that are grown in the Eastern Service area are mainly potatoes and watermelons. When I started farming in the 70s, it was all secondary water, so it was just forage. And over the years, we've converted all our plants to tertiary treatment. Oh, and with chlorinated, you can use it on anything now. There's still, uh, to me, some reluctance by big uh, sellers of produce to use crops grown with recycled water. I, I think that's going to change. It has to because I think a lot of the public is going to say, I want food grown in recycled water. I want you to save that potable water for me to drink with or mm -hmm. use other ways and, and theoretically helps keep the cost of my food down. So um, it's been a, um, 
I think we're going to go to more and more vegetables as, you know, with, with Sigma, with groundwater mm -hmm. management now, um, that's really impacted a lot of what goes on in the Central Valley. We're very similar climate-wise to the Central Valley. We've seen carrots coming back to our valley lately, mm -hmm. and I think we're going to see more of that as the acceptance of recycled water for irrigation uh, improves. I know in the in the Castroville area, there's a there's a, a, a system that's uh, roughly 14,000 acres where they use uh, recycled water uh, for the for the farmers in that area, and it's been in operation close to 20 years. Designed by a Cal Poly Ag engineer, by the way, and uh, and there's a waiting list of folks to get that right. water. They don't use it on on, on produce, uh, leafy greens and such, but uh, artichokes and anything else that's where water isn't going directly on the portion to be edible, and and it's been successful right. for for many many years. We have a waiting list for our ag water, recycled water. Yes. You mentioned Sigma. Tell us how that implementation is going, both from your hat at here at, at Eastern Municipal and as well as owning a farm? Well, I mean... A big date is coming here in about yes, a month, right? And, uh, and deadline. My, my farm is not in the Met Service area at this point, but it is the poster child for groundwater management, which is the Paso Robles mm -hmm. Basin, and there's been a real strong effort to get uh, some management in place and to form a water district, and we haven't gotten there yet. Continue to work on that. But it's just, it's really important that that area is producing some really great food products, mainly wine, and um, it just uh, doesn't make sense to not have a reliable supply. And I understand uh, the idea that we don't need any more government and we don't, if you just leave me alone, I'll, I'll be fine. But it just doesn't work, especially in California. It's, you know, too great of a place to live and farm and work. and. Um, so we've, we've got to manage our resources and make uh, best use of what's available. For Eastern, most of our groundwater basins are already adjudicated. So we're, we're not really seeing much impacts from Sigma, but uh, I mean, the Central Valley, it's a big deal. Sure. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it plays a role in the water fix as well, because you just can't rely on that groundwater. Um, but we've known that for a long time. but. Now we are really starting to manage it, and that's a good thing. So your farm in Paso Robles, you need to join a coalition or a group to collectively manage your basin and report back up to the state? Is that how right. that works? We had an effort, uh, mainly led by growers, to form a district. There was a vote, and it went down pretty dramatically. So <laughs> there's a new effort by the county to try to form some organizational structure in order to deal with what we need to deal with and uh, also in the meantime you're reporting individually to the that hasn't started yet uh -huh. but it's not that far away yeah. what was the main reason do you think for the negative vote was it just that sentiment that you expressed earlier that uh, people don't want to some of that uh, but managed? I think I think there was some misinformation and I think there's a fear of another level of regulation or management or fee collection or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I come from an area where we couldn't do what we do if this water district wasn't in place. But it's almost a unique water district because even though we have a lot of urban population, we do care a lot about agriculture and we make resources available to agriculture. It's not always true throughout the state. Mm -hmm. so. I think it's just um, the idea that 
we don't need any more people to move here. We don't need any more um, wells drilled, and, and we'll be fine. And so how do you manage that? How do you make it fair? I mean, there are um, families in Paso Robles that have been there for three generations who always thought, well, someday we're going to quit cattle and we're going to drill a well, and I can't do it now. Mm-hmm. And there are people that moved there not too long ago that maybe got in under the wire, and what's well, fair? It's, it's really difficult. But one of the nice things about Sigma, from my understanding, is that it is locally managed, and only if you fail locally, then does the state water resources control board right. step in. So you have the opportunity to manage your own groundwater and only have additional regulations if you fail. Right. So it seems like people would opt to take that management step first. Seems like it. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes logic does not prevail. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's not that. easy. It really isn't. Yeah. But um, Well, farmers are sometimes, it's like herding cats, I think, trying yeah. to get them to agree on. Yeah. Actually, the farmers are very well united. Oh, that's Yes, that's from good. my perspective in Paso Robles. And, um, there in the Central other, Valley, I'm not sure that you could say the same. Well... I know. I we'll mean, set that aside for. I, I'm a farmer, <laughs> and but you kind of gotta laugh, you know. Yeah. I mean, we think we're better than a lot of people because we work a lot harder or longer hours, and most people think, "Geez, why don't you work smarter and enjoy life?" You know. And anytime farmers get together and say, "Well, you know, why don't we just all cut back?" Then they all go out individually and plant more. So <laughs> they think everybody off. else is going to cut I mean, back. They know supply but, and demand. But, but, you, but you went into the wine business. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of more fun. But it, most growers I know, if you had a problem, they'd help you in a second, even yeah. though you're competitors. But uh, So it's just an interesting profession. But California has so much potential with the climate, the soil. Right. And we do have water. But, you know, we just got to manage it right. Have a lot of lawyers too, right? So There's actually... <laughs> Some people say not enough that are really schooled in water law. Yeah, they're, they're, that's true. I had a, I had a, someone say, if you're going to have a, a son or daughter uh, become a lawyer, just have them specialize in water rights because you know they'll be permanently employed if they're anyway half decent. <laughs> or, or hydrology. We, we're going to be wanting to really measure our groundwater in the future, and we're just on the cusp of that. Right. Um, I. I uh, Mike brought up uh, in in uh, Rob as well the the record family wines. I, I want to know more about the winery and how much fun you're having with that, and your wife and your daughters are involved. Yeah, I want, I want where, to, where's where, the where samples? Can, where, can we, <laughs> where can we buy it? That's what. Yeah. Well, I, we're getting to that. I, mean, <laughs> I, know, I want to know a little bit of the history. I, I'm happy to sell it to you. We're we're online mainly. We're not a winery. We're a vineyard. Okay. We have a local winery make wine for us. Uh, only about. Well, way less than five percent of our grapes go to our own wine. I have one daughter that manages the vineyard, and another daughter that uh, does the marketing and compliance on the, on the wine side. So we're uh, and they're partners. So we're a woman-owned, majority-owned business, which I'm very proud of. My family's been in farming for a long time, and you know, there's nothing better than working with your kids and that yeah. next generation. So. Um, and Paso Robles is a wonderful area, and so it's, it's, we feel very fortunate to be there and slowly getting to be part of the community, and um, it's, just, it's, it's really been great. Your daughters both live on the vineyard? One lives there, and the other lives in San Diego. Oh, okay. So um, we have uh, grandkids, and 
you know, life is really good. Yeah, the grandkids nice. are great. I can speak from experience. Yeah. Yeah. Rob too. <laughs> and they get to they they get to see uh, grandpa and mom and dad out on the in the vineyard working. What uh, right. what a, a great uh, great thing to do. I grew up in a citrus ranch that my grandmother owned in Palma Valley, so I, I I get a little bit of that with my grandmother and mom and dad and stuff for three generations out there. That's kind of fun. Well, any closing thoughts or thoughts of wisdom that you can pass on to our listeners about water? And No, I, I just want people to know that there are great people working in water every day that are really dedicated to the right things. And, you know, at Metropolitan, we serve... Um, mainly urbans that's our charter but we really want to see the state reach its full potential and in order to do that we need to make best use of our water supply and that includes the environment that's not taking it away from the environment but it's done in the right way so i kind of prefer that we thought of ourselves as one state and we tried to really have true partnerships that are mutually beneficial and that we don't rely on any single source of water, but we look at every opportunity, whether it's recycled or brackish groundwater or ocean desal or imported um, conservation. I mean, we're starting to think in terms of not just what's the best way to apply water on the farm, but going a step further and saying, what's the end product and how much water does it take for that? And maybe that's a new metric to determine how we go forward. My feeling is I don't want to tell anybody what to do because as a farmer, that's the last thing I want somebody to do to me. But we need to be able to be smart and try to find a way to give people options that help uh, everyone be better. So I'm optimistic. I mean, it feels so good to be out of that five-year drought. The next one could start next year. We don't know, but um, it was nice to see it rain this year. Absolutely. Well, we, on behalf of the team here at WaterZone, we would like to thank you for joining us today. And, it's my uh, pleasure. And uh, let us know where we get your wine. <laughs> <laughs> Online. Online.